appreciate John Phillips filling in for us today on the Armstrong and Getty Show. We will be back sooner or later. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, where you can hear me each weekday from noon to 3 on AM 790 KABC or worldwide at KABC.com. You can also read my column in the LA Daily News, the OC Register, the Riverside Press Enterprise, and all the Southern California newspaper group newspapers. You can follow me on Twitter at Johnny Don't Like. Well, I hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Hopefully you were able to escape the news cycle for a moment or two and enjoy the sun, maybe go to a barbecue, spend some time in the pool, play a game of golf, do something that can uh, clear your mind. Because Monday morning, we're right back in the thick of it. Joining us right now on the Newsmaker line to talk about all of this is the RNC, the Republican National Committee Committeeman from the state of Minnesota, Max Reimer. Max, thanks so much for joining us. John, thank you for having us on. Uh, crazy, crazy times we live in, huh? Now, you live in such a sleepy state, Minnesota. Is anything going on that we should know about? Yeah, you know, I wasn't really sure what we were going to talk about, but uh, we did have uh, we did have a killing of an unarmed black man by police in Minneapolis, which led to six nights of protesting, three of which ended in significant rioting, and uh, our biggest city burned down. So, other than that, uh, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> well, the big news over the weekend is that there apparently is a supermajority that exists on the Minneapolis City Council that wants to disband the police department and replace it with something else, something, whatever something is, I'm unclear on. Can you break down the political dynamic, the political situation going on right now in the city of Minneapolis? Because it just seems bonkers to everyone else outside of there. And it seems bonkers to a lot of people here. And what I'll tell you is, yes, they do have what's considered to be a supermajority can override the, the, the mayor who has indicated that he is not, in, for all of his flaws, has indicated that he is not in favor of disbanding the police department. But at a anti-police, uh, disband the police rally this past weekend, Eight out of 12 of the city council members on the Minneapolis City Council indicated that they are in favor, and don't get it twisted, they said they were in favor of a total abolishing and reimagining of the police force in Minneapolis. And basically the, the vague solutions that were thrown out there were kind of a combination of neighborhood monitoring and more investment into, like, mental health services. So they don't even know what they're going to replace it with but it seems like it's full steam ahead on this right now. So what happens if someone breaks into your house? They can't answer that. <laughs> we, we just had Lisa Bender, the, the, the president of our Minneapolis City Council on CNN, saying that if you ask that question, that you have a certain level of white privilege. And she, she never answered the question. <laughs> she said if you ask it, it, that you have a level of white privilege and that if some people call the police, they don't expect safe outcomes. Let's go ahead and listen to that clip. Cut 12. What if in the middle of the night my home is broken into? Who do I call? Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege because for those of us for whom the system is working, 
I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. And so in the very immediate, we have to lean into whatever changes we can make in our existing police department. You know, I think we look to cities like Camden, New Jersey, that completely restructured their department as we build up systems. And we've already done that. We, have, we are not starting from scratch. We have invested in community-based safety strategies. We have knowledge in our community across the city. We've done an analysis of all the reasons people call 911 and have looked at ways we can shift the response away from armed police officers into a more appropriate response for mental health calls, um, for some domestic violence calls, for um, health-related issues. You know what she sounds like? She sounds like someone who's been brainwashed in a religious cult. And they've been asked a question to to just show that they're not being abused and that they're, in fact, there on their own volition. She really does seem to have internalized it. Yes, and I think that is the time that we live in right now. A lot of this is moving at light speed, and you, you see a lot of the nature of these protests, and they look like worship experiences, evangelical services. In Minneapolis here, you know, you have people who are going down and, and and raising their hands and and singing and dancing as if it was a as if it was a religious service. So that that's the world we find ourselves in here in Minneapolis. Now, your U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar was the former district attorney for the county that services Minneapolis. What is she saying about all of this? Well, they're giving her cover. So Keith Ellison, our attorney general, it seems, he's feeding her information early and often so that she's the first one to, for instance, she broke the news that Keith Ellison was going to take over the case against Derek Chauvin, the the cop who is uh, who is charged now with the murder of uh, George Floyd. So it seems like they're trying to give her as much cover as possible because what nobody is reporting is Amy Klobuchar had a chance to prosecute this cop who looks like, on the face, who looks like a bad cop. She had the ability to prosecute him a couple different times and chose to uh, chose to pass on that opportunity while she was the prosecutor. What's the governor saying? Because I'm just trying to think of just various scenarios that could potentially happen without a police force. At some point, someone's going to get murdered and no one's going to show up. And if someone gets murdered in your state and the cops don't show up and you're the governor of that state, you've got a state police force. There is a statewide elected attorney general. There are various layers of law enforcement that could theoretically step in and say, all right, if you abdicate your duty as a city, we're going to go ahead and do something as a state. Is he threatening that right now? Well, not overtly, but I think he is certainly having some conversations internally because he has got a radically left lieutenant governor in Peggy Flanagan, but he ran as one Minnesota. He ran as a center Democrat uh, governor, and that's how he kind of carried himself to victory because we are a diverse state. We have these metro centers, but we also have a pretty vibrant outstate Minnesota community. So rural communities that have rural values. We have some of the most conservative counties in the entire country. So he had to run like that. Now, he's not saying anything overtly, but do keep in mind, we have United Healthcare here. We have several companies that are in the heart of Minneapolis, including the Minnesota Vikings, the Minnesota Timberwolves, people who have assets 
in this city, and I can't imagine that they're going to be totally comfortable with the idea of not having a city police force, which, again, it's, it's very clear this is what the city council is advocating for. They are advocating not for uh, reform, not for just little tweaks here and there. They are advocating for a full abolishment of the Minneapolis police force as well as a replacement basically with just mental health services and a combination of neighborhood initiatives. That's what they're advocating for, and I don't think that's going to sit well with the governor's donors. I don't think that's going to sit well for the majority of Minnesotans, and he's got to make a statement pretty soon, as he did when he sent in the National Guard, uh, basically against the, the mayor's orders in Minneapolis. Target is based out of Minnesota, and they were a company that got hit very hard in the riots. Who would have thought that, by the way? A company with a bullseye as their <laughs> logo would get hit during a riot. But one of the yeah. forms of insurance that's very expensive is civil unrest insurance. The mom and pops can't afford it, so it's left for the Walmarts, the Targets of the world. Uh, that insurance policy will certainly skyrocket, those premiums. Target has to be very sensitive to this, and they are at the epicenter of all of it. What are they doing and saying at the thought of no police? You know, they, again, this is a classic Minnesota thing, John. Like, we are not willing to put out publicly statements that are strong and effective and all of that. We try to operate in the most passive-aggressive way possible. And Target being a Minnesota company, I think they're the same. They have the same mindset as our governor, as our mayor, as other leaders in the, in the state and in the city, that they haven't done anything kind of proactive or pushing back against this publicly. In fact, they have kind of gone along with this corporate narrative of, we, you know, we hear the rioters, we hear the protesters, um, and, and the one target that really got ransacked in St. Paul, uh, they have already committed to rebuilding that target as well. So they're not saying anything that will offend anybody publicly at this point i think they're trying to just hold their cards close to the vest but their their corporate headquarters you're right are right in minneapolis they're right in the heart of downtown so they could be next uh and i'm not sure what they'll end up doing but they haven't done anything yet downtown minneapolis is a place where people go for to obviously to work but people also live there and you can go there for various entertainment venues you can go there for great bars you can go there for great restaurants the city encourages people to go to whether they live there or they just spend their time there places like downtown minneapolis if suddenly there is no police force i would imagine you're going to have a population shift that's going to be dramatic and fast where people who voted for the city council in minneapolis and voted for this in Minneapolis are going to flee that city in droves. But what they're going to do is they're going to take their politics with them to the suburbs, to the rural parts of Minnesota, to neighboring states. As someone who works to get Republicans elected in that state, are you worried that a bunch of people who think like the mayor of Minneapolis and who think like the city council in Minneapolis are going to move to purple areas or red areas and change the political dynamic of your state? Oh, yes. And it, quite frankly, John, it was happening before this event as well. You had a bunch of people who went and mucked up their own city, and there was radical policies being floated around all over the place prior to this event, who have then moved out into what we call the first-ring suburbs, which were traditionally Republican areas and had been for about 60, 70 years almost. 
And now they're almost reliably blue. In 2018, we saw a massive blue wave in these first-ranked sub, uh, suburbs. And it's the ultimate hypocrisy. And it's what you laid out earlier in the show is that you can't move to a new place and bring your old way of thinking because the new place was a good place for, uh, for a specific reason. And we do see that here. We're seeing it already. We're seeing a dramatic shift. We're seeing a lot of um, bored kind of suburbanites who have no affiliation to the black community in Minneapolis, uh, basically virtue signal with their vote and virtue signal with their activism. Um, and these are these are originally Minneapolis families. They, they did not grow up in the suburban communities. They did not see what kind of made them good. And we're seeing that already. We're seeing that paradigm shift. And I think that it'll, it'll be even more dramatic after this. We're speaking with Max Reimer, who's the RNC committeeman for the state of Minnesota. Last question before you go, Max. The congresswoman for Minneapolis is Ilan Omar. She is no stranger to controversy. What is she doing and saying? Uh, she's she's posting fundraising links to uh, to IlhanOmar.com, to her Ag Blue account. She is. She's been in a couple of snafus here where she's posting links uh, saying to help people in North Minneapolis provide food for their families, and the link is going to an Ilhan Omar donation website. So that's what she's, uh, that's what she's decided to do, and I think, uh, I think her permanent address now is in Washington, D.C. So she's not, she, she did get a couple photo ops in the community in Minneapolis. She's not been down here regularly, and uh, she doesn't really care. Uh, she's, got her, she's got her new lifestyle and a, and a new boyfriend in Washington, D.C., Max Reimer, if people want to follow you on Twitter, how can they do that? Yeah, give me a follow at Max R. Reimer, R-Y-M-E-R. I'm on Twitter, and then my website is there as well, and would love to connect with you all. All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks, John. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up. Don't go anywhere. Joe back soon enough, but until then, you're in the very capable hands of one John Phillips. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty, joined by Positive Sean. Now, Positive Sean, it's June, and this is typically the time that people start going on their summer vacations. Some people like to go to amusement parks, they'll go down to Disney World, Disneyland, Universal Studios, what have you. Uh, Some like to go to Las Vegas and play at the blackjack tables. I, for one, am a huge aficionado of cruise ships. I love cruise ships. And I had two so far that have canceled due to COVID-19. Have you had any summer vacations canceled yet, Positive Sean, because of COVID-19? Uh, as one of the the pleasant side effects of never actually making plans, I have not had to cancel any. I am very much improvisational when it comes to my uh, my relaxation time. If a friend hits me up and says, hey, we're going to the lake this weekend, okay, I'm, I'm likely to jump in the car and, and head with you. But I'm not much of a planner. Would you feel comfortable doing virtually any vacation that you would have done pre-COVID-19 today? Um, I still think I'm hesitant to do things like big arenas, like giant concerts or uh, like an NBA game, things like that, I think is where I would draw the line. 
uh, going out to restaurants and things like that, I think I'd be I'd be fairly comfortable with at this point. There's not a thing I can think of that I wouldn't have had a problem with pre-COVID-19 that I'd have a problem with today. And I am of the belief that if I was running things in Las Vegas or I was running the cruise ship companies or I was running the amusement parks, the attitude that I would have and the way I would market my facilities is this. I would say, look, amusement parks, cruise ships, Vegas casinos, they aren't for everyone. If you are in a vulnerable demographic, if you're in a group that is prone to having a tough time with COVID-19, if and when you were to be infected with it, please stay safe, don't come, or if you do, wear a mask. But if you want to go on a cruise, or you want to go to Las Vegas, or you want to go to an amusement park, come on down. And the experience is going to be the experience that you have known to come to love. And we're going to offer that experience for you. But if you go, you take your chances. I would be more than willing to sign up for that. Because here's what I don't want. I don't want to go on a cruise ship or go to Las Vegas or go to an amusement park and have everything that I like about it taken out as some sort of placebo to fight COVID-19. That's what I'm not interested in. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up. Armstrong and Getty. Everybody, John Phillips. John Phillips, everybody. John's filling in for us today. Good dude. Hope you like it. Thank you, Armstrong and Getty. It is John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. You can follow me on Twitter at Johnny Don't Like. And you can catch me on my program on Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles between the hours of noon and 3 each weekday or worldwide at KABC.com in Los Angeles. It's AM 790 KABC. So the big story over the weekend that we've been discussing this morning involves a push by the Minneapolis City Council to get rid of the Minneapolis Police Department. They say they have a supermajority on the council, which means they can override a veto from the mayor, who says that he would veto that particular piece of legislation. But there is the will, and they are moving forward. And I was thinking about it all weekend long. What life would be like without a police department? And I've lived in the state of California my entire life. Never lived in any of the other states or territories at all. Not even for a little bit. So I can only speak about it from the perspective of someone who lives in the state of California. It may be different elsewhere. But in my neighborhood, I can tell you what would happen first and foremost if suddenly the police department didn't exist. The homeless would take over. There would be no stopping them. And if you did attempt to stop them, you would be the one at fault, and they would find a way to arrest you. Think about how often in major American cities, the cops 
have to respond to calls involving the homeless. Whether they're breaking into cars, whether they're breaking into buildings, whether they're doing drugs in public, whatever it is, the cops are constantly called to deal with issues involving the homeless. I've got a very good friend who lives in San Diego in a big building in a nice part of town. And homeless people will break into the building and just decide they're going to live in the garage. And for whatever reason, they decided that his spot is the place to be. Location, location, location. So he has to be on the phone with the police nonstop to get them out of his parking space so he can park his car. With no police department, what does he do? There was one morning I was sitting at my kitchen table and I was on my laptop preparing for my radio show in Los Angeles. And at the time, I was living in a building that had a courtyard, and I was on the first floor right next to the pool. And I heard screaming and yelling coming from that courtyard. And I opened up my blinds, and I looked out at the courtyard, and I saw police officers with their guns drawn pointed inside my neighbor's unit. I had no idea what was going on, and that was not the moment to start asking questions. So I waited for all the commotion to end, and that's when I started investigating to find out what happened, because after all, I am Mrs. Kravitz. And so after the situation was resolved, I walked down the hall, and I started talking to one of the cops. And as it turns out, what happened was, my neighbors, it was three people, kind of a threes company sort of thing. And two of them were at the Coachella Music Festival, a guy and a girl. And there was one girl who was left, and she was by herself. And she woke up in the middle of the night, or I guess it would be early morning hours, and decided she was going to go to the bathroom. And she said she could smell something from the hallway coming from the living room. The stench of body odor and whatever else was coming from the living room was so strong she could smell it. So she walked down the hall and she saw there was someone on her couch that she didn't recognize. She goes back into her room and she texts her roommates and says, Hey, did you guys come home or did you guys invite someone over? Because she's thinking, hey, they've been at Coachella for a few days. Maybe they met a friend. And they said, no, we're still at Coachella. So there's an intruder in her apartment on her couch. She locks the door, panics, and calls 911. That's when the cops get there. That's when I hear the screaming. As it turns out, it was a homeless person who was able to somehow get into the building... And they were able to break into her unit. They fixed food in the living room or in the kitchen. They ate it in the living room. And they had a bar in the apartment. And they poured themselves some drinks and then went to sleep. Imagine what would have happened 
if there was no police to respond to that? What do you do if you're her? Where you're stuck inside your bedroom, you've got some intruder, you don't know who it is, you don't know why they're there, you don't know if they just got out of prison, if they have a gun, if they have a knife, if they have a baseball bat, but they're in your living room and you can see them and you can smell them. What are you supposed to do? I can't answer that question. I bet you she wasn't armed. And if she did shoot him, she'd go to jail because it's California. But people are going to be faced with these sorts of questions in the city of Minneapolis all the time. And if you want to know what groups will be threatened, it's groups that typically vote Democrat. She was a single woman living in a big city in California. Without the police, she has no option for self-defense without a gun. No option. If you look at the city of Baltimore, one of the big police incidents that happened that caused protests and strife and issues to be debated was the Freddie Gray incident, which happened some time ago. Do you remember that, Freddie Gray? He was the guy that got arrested by the Baltimore Police Department, and then they cuffed him, and they put him in the paddy wagon, and then they slammed on the brakes, and he went flying. And that became a big to-do. And one of the reforms that was made in the city of Baltimore was that the cops were told to back off. We don't want the cops to be involved in aggressive policing in Baltimore. We want the cops to just take a step back and back off. Well, ask anyone who lives in Baltimore what life is like there now compared to what life was like before. There's a reason police departments are aggressive. There's a whole theory that was created by a political scientist, an academic by the name of James Q. Wilson. It's called Broken Windows. And it's what they employed in New York City after all the wilding in the 80s under Mayor David Dinkins. When New York City was thought to be ungovernable, people were moving out in droves. People were afraid to live there. It was a violent place. And then Rudy Giuliani and Bill Bratton came in and cleaned it up. And they used James Q. Wilson's philosophy of broken windows to do it. And the philosophy essentially says, if you crack down on the small crimes, you will prevent the big crimes from happening. If people understand they can't hold you up for money at a stoplight by putting, by squeegeeing your windows and then demanding money, they're less likely to pull a knife on you and ask for your wallet. So they enforced it, and they enforced it vigorously, and it worked. And Dick Reardon did the same thing in Los Angeles. And mayors around the country did the same thing in their cities, and they got crime under control. Well, now what these activists are asking for is to essentially reverse all of that. They want to get rid of broken windows. That's what they did in Baltimore. That's what they're going to do in Minneapolis. And it's coming to a town near you. If you want to know what life is going to be like after broken windows is taken out of all of these cities, just look at New York City under Mayor David Dinkins. 
It was a disaster zone. It was unlivable. It was a time to buy property, by the way, if you knew that Rudy Giuliani was coming. But that's what happened. We know what the result will be. We know more people will die. We know more people will be the victims of crime. We know more people will feel unsafe in their homes if you tell the cops to back off. And that's what's happening right now. And it's not just a fringe element. It is the mayor of Los Angeles. It's the mayor of New York City. It's the supermajority in Minneapolis. It's Brian Fallon, by the way, who was Hillary Clinton's press secretary in 2016. He's saying defund the cops. This is not a fringe idea anymore. This is part of the Democratic Party platform. Not formally yet, but it's part of the program of which their elected officials are pushing. And Eric Garcetti, the mayor of Los Angeles, he's a nut. But in that world, he's not thought of as being a nut. In that world, he's thought of being a mainstream Democrat. He once considered himself to be a candidate for president. He was kicking tires on that. He's floated the idea of running for governor of California or U.S. senator from California. He doesn't see himself as a fringe political actor. He sees himself as someone with mass appeal. And he is termed out as mayor of Los Angeles, but he also doesn't see his political career as being over. He wants to move on to bigger and better things. And he thinks by defunding the cops, that'll get him there. I don't see that happening. Especially if cities start dipping their toe in that water. Because we'll see what happens real fast if the news media chooses to cover it. But with cell phones and video recording devices, they won't be able to hide everything forever. Eventually, videos will get out of what life is like in Minneapolis without the cops. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't going to be pretty. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Joe back soon enough, but until then, it's John Phillips. Proud, to, uh, I'm guessing he's glad to be off the windy fairways that were not too kind to his golf shots this weekend. Well, I think the homeowners are happy that I'm off those windy <laughs> fairways. Because let me tell you, when you hit those golf balls up into the atmosphere and they hit that, that jet stream, they go flying off into the neighborhoods and they hit roofs, they hit walls, they hit swimming pools. It sounds like you're standing in Aleppo. These neighborhoods are just getting shelled. Do those homes have to, they, they, the homeowners insurance know they're on the golf course, right? They have to have some sort of extra, you know, bad golfer insurance policy, right? Is that a thing? Oh, I would imagine so. If you're sitting in your backyard having breakfast on a Sunday morning and you live on a golf course, I'd be wearing a helmet. Because <laughs> their titleist is coming after you right and left. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. You can get me on Twitter at Johnny Don't Like. Now, Positive Sean, a little birdie told me 
that you are a big investment guy. Well, I, I am a part of the investor class. You know, I'm not going to put any sort of, you know, number values, a big, small, I, I don't know, those those scale with perspective. But, but I am officially member of the investor class. I have hundreds, literal, hundreds and hundreds of dollars at work in the market as we speak. Now, I was told a rumor that you actually have a shrine in your house to Jim Cramer and then another one to Lou Dobbs, as if you were living in Pyongyang and it was for Kim Jong-un. Is that true? <laughs> Jim Cramer, not necessarily on my uh, my shrine of worshipful investors, uh, but uh, but I, I, I'd lie if I didn't say I took a listen to what he's saying every now and then. Because even if you don't agree with philosophies, it's good to know what the strategies are there out there are going and and uh, you know how to how to kind of lay out your own playbook. Okay, so as an investment guy, I need you to explain something to me because I've been trying to figure this out and I can't do it. But I'm not an investment guy, so this is not my world. It's your world. We have seen massive unemployment in this country since we shut everything down due to COVID-19. People are signing up for unemployment benefits. Various industries aren't allowed to be open for business. Yet the stock market is going absolutely gangbusters. Investors have confidence in this economy. Why do you think that is? Uh, well, part of the, the reason why the stock market's gone up is because it got hit so hard at the start of all this, this pandemic, right? One of my favorite axioms is the s- stocks go down faster than they go up, but they go up more than they go down. Um, so uh, there was that. This was also not an economic-based um, kind of uh, market slide. This, there wasn't something inherently broken with the way that the, the company was, or the country was doing business. It was a government-mandated shutdown. Uh, and so I think people were much more eager to, once they saw the dips, say, hey, you know what, these companies that I wanted to own two and a half months ago, these are still good companies, they still have solid balance sheets, now's a great time to kind of uh, make a new entry point in, into the company. So because it wasn't a an inherent problem like the, the housing bubble or, or the subprime uh, mortgages that went out, there, there wasn't that, that singular flaw in the economics that caused the collapse. I think people have been much more... Uh, encouraged to get back into the market. Do you think this is a belief that is pretty much exclusively held on Wall Street, or is it held on Main Street, too? And I say that because I was looking at some stats, and I guess the bookings at Airbnb and the bookings for cruise ships are absolutely through the roof. And I thought to myself, if people didn't have faith that this economy was going to bounce back, would you put a vacation on the calendar? Would you book a room at Airbnb? Would you book a cruise? Probably not. But if people are voting with their money and they're spending money because they think the cruise ships are going to be operating and they think they're going to be able to go on vacation to Orlando or wherever it is that they plan on going, maybe they have the same confidence in the economy that Wall Street does. It, anecdotally, not only are you know people in my sub-40-year-old age bracket um, somewhat, you know, looking forward to, to when things open back up, but they are actively putting money into the market for the first time. Uh, you know, I have friends coming to me say, Hey, I know you've been doing this investing thing for, you know, a little more than a year. So what, how'd you get started? What, what was this like? And I'm having these, uh, you know, investing 101 conversations with, with friends who are, who are looking to, you know, buy the dips, as we say. And the employment numbers last week that came out were pretty good. It looks like we've hit rock bottom with the number of people who are going to be laid off, and people are being called back to work, and the unemployment numbers seem to be going in the right direction. 
There's that, and there was also, I believe, the the increased unemployment benefits were good through July. I don't believe those have been extended. So some of the people who have been hesitant to go back to work because they've been getting more on uh, from the stay-at-home kind of unemployment boost that they got, uh, when that extra money runs out, are they going to be more you know amped to get back into work? I think they will, uh, but time will tell on that. What I'm going to be watching closely are the small businesses. Mm-hmm. Because the small businesses got hit the hardest. The process of getting their money from the government was laborious, and it was very difficult. Some of them got it. Yeah, some of them got it. Some of them didn't. And I just am curious as to how many of them are going to be open for business when all of this ends. Uh, There was one theory that was floating around that said that many of them would never reopen their doors at all. But when you talk to people and you talk to small business owners and people who work for small businesses, they seem now, it seems like we've turned a corner and they've gone from death and despair to being optimistic that things are going to bounce back. And I hope they're right. I hope these optimists are going to see what they believe is going to happen come to fruition. Of course, time will tell, and a lot of it will depend on what industry you're in. If you're in the travel industry, if you're in uh, the transportation industry, if you're in industries that have been hit hard by COVID-19, uh, it may be I'll take longer time amount of time for your recovery. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up. Armstrong and Getty.